the biggest training week in the in the plan that I recommend to people most often is they don't have to train any more than four and a half hours total. That Triathlon Show, episode 54. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and today's episode is primarily targeted to beginner triathletes and, of course, for those coaching beginner triathletes. But I will say that there is a specific nugget, the miracle intervals, as Gail calls them, that we talk about that could be extremely beneficial for even the most experienced triathletes. So so I would still keep listening anyway. But for the beginners amongst the listeners, you'll learn exactly how to train for your first triathlon. And if your first triathlon is already behind you, but you're still kind of new to the sport, you'll learn how to train when you want to either move up the distances and do your first Olympic, or you want to continue to get faster at the sprint distance. And joining me today, my guest for today's interview is Gail Bernhardt, an Olympic triathlon coach and cycling coach who has helped countless beginner triathletes and age groupers. But for this specific interview, beginners use these concepts that we discuss today. And at the start of the interview, we talk a little bit about her experience as an Olympic coach, but then we quickly get back on topic, which is beginner triathlon training. So enjoy the show. All right, today on That Triathlon Show, I am with Gail Bernhardt. Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a real honor to be part of your podcast group. And same to you. I've uh, been, I've known about you since I bought the book Triathlon Science, co edited by Jim Vance and, and Joe Friel, and, and read your chapters in that. And I, I think I'd seen your name on a, in a lot of places before, but that's when, when you first came for real on my, on my radar. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, just looking at your resume, you've been to the Olympics on a couple of occasions. Can you, Tell a little bit about that as part of your introduction and your bio. Oh, sure. My first trip to the Olympics was in 2000, where I coached a U.S. cyclist, Nicole Friedman, to win U.S. Pro Nationals, and that punched her ticket to the Olympics that year. And so that that year in, in Australia, I went to the Olympics as a personal coach uh, for an individual athlete. And then that experience led to uh, supporting the World Cup teams in triathlon for the next three years, roughly. And um, through a selection process, I was selected to be the 2003 USA Triathlon Pan Am Games coach for both the men's and the women's team which uh, my performance at that event got me selected to be the 2004 Olympic coach for USA Triathlon, both uh, the men's and the women's teams. 
So And who did, who did you have on the team in 2004? 2004 was uh, Victor Plata, uh, Andy Potts, and I'm I'm uh, missing my third oh hunter kemper and on the women's side was barb lindquist uh, sheila Teramina, and uh, susan williams and susan was our first medal in triathlon in the olympics she she raced herself remarkably after crashing on the bike into barriers she ended up working her way to a bronze medal at at that games so it was pretty exciting Wow, I didn't know didn't know that, and I haven't even heard her name. That's uh, that's a, a bit of a uh, I don't know, lacking my triathlon history knowledge. I had heard about uh, all the other ones, but but not hers. Um, yeah, you know, uh, interestingly, I think Susan Williams is a is a good example for many of your listeners out there. And what I mean by that is people really counted her out in the qualification process leading up to the Olympic Games. She, I mean, they knew she was a good uh, athlete, but definitely there were people ahead of her in the rankings that they thought for sure would get selected for the team. And, and at that time, it was performance-based, all performance-based. There were no coaches choices to go to the games. So Susan surprised everyone by being the final athlete selected for the team by her performance at the final qualifier. And then people thought, well, you know, that's really nice, but uh, Barb Lindquist and uh, Sheila Termina are ranked in the top one, two in the world. So really, we're counting on those two to bring home the medals. And I, I think in an odd sort of way, that took some pressure off of Susan. And uh, even though she crashed in, I don't remember which lap it was, she crashed going into a pretty sharp corner on a downhill. And she just kept her wits about her, got back up, got on her bike. And Barb Lindquist actually helped her, stayed with her, and they worked together on the bike. And Susan was eventually able to run her way to a bronze medal. So the the moral of the story for your listeners is just because you aren't favored or uh, think that you're going to do extremely well, you maybe don't think you will, never count yourself out. Just keep at it and, and who knows what the possibilities might be. Yeah, and don't stop when something goes wrong, when you crash or you get a flat or whatever it is. That's a really inspirational story. But you've also worked a lot with age groupers. Just uh, tell us a little bit about that background as well before we jump into the main topic of today's interview, which will be training for more beginners and novice triathletes. Sure. Much earlier in my career, uh, I... Well, let's see. That my first personal triathlon was in 1986, which is a long time ago. But at that time, there was not easily accessible information for age group triathletes to get into the sport. So at that time, I put together my own training plan to do my first sprint triathlon in a neighboring city and just had a great time. I just absolutely fell in love with the sport. 
the people that were in the sport were so friendly and helpful and inviting. And I just decided that I wanted more of that. And within a year, people knew of what I was doing myself with triathlon. And they also knew of my coaching and, and uh, teaching history in sport and just in industry and in private industry as well. And in they start- what sports did you, did you coach at that before triathlon? Yeah, that's a great question. I started by, at age 16, teaching swim lessons and helped with coaching the little kids' uh, swim teams when we went to competitions. So that was really the first taste of real coaching for me in sport. And then I went on to teach also uh, alpine skiing, which is a, a big diversion from triathlon, but I taught alpine skiing and and also taught at local health club facilities, the, the typical fitness classes to try to help people improve their their fitness. Yeah, okay. And I, side note, but I believe that Sarah Piampiano, which, who is one of the uh, more well-known pros at the moment and the 70.3 especially, but also Ironman circuit, uh, comes from a, an alpine skiing background. So, Oh, I did not a, know that. Okay. I, I think it's her. I might be mistaken. There might be somebody else, but I'm, I'm sure there is one of the more well-known ladies uh, in, in long course triathlon. All right, so let's, let's move into training for beginner triathletes uh, because you have uh, written books and obviously you have a lot of training plans that are uh, very much... Uh, favored by by a lot of people that that have used them so what would be your overarching training principles for the complete beginner training for their first triathlon and let's call it a sprint triathlon it somewhat depends on if that person is already active in other sports if they're doing other sports then i think it's a little bit easier for them to transition into triathlon and build some endurance but really People shouldn't be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They shouldn't be afraid to try a sprint triathlon if they have absolutely zero fitness right now, that they've been busy doing family or school or job things and have not done anything. Within about 9 to 12 weeks, they can slowly build up enough endurance to be able to comfortably complete the event. So the the principle there is start from when you start your training plan, start from the place where you are right now and don't take uh training principles from someone who might have more fitness than you. And certainly less fitness is not going to hurt you by doing a plan that might be below your capabilities, but be patient so that you can strengthen your tendons and ligaments so that you're not injured because the last thing you want is to be injured and not be able to do anything at all. Yeah, that won't get you past the finish line, not even getting to the starting line. Right. So uh, how much would you say that that beginner, let's say coming from the couch, maybe having done some sports uh, before when they were young but then having taking a, an extended break of many years uh, to have family and and work what how how much should they train in those 9 to 12 weeks 
that's a great question. I, I call those people currently hibernating athletes because they were once active some time ago. And uh, in the, I look for them to swim one or two times a week. If, if their past sport history included swimming, they can get away with only swimming once a week. But if they have not had a swimming history, then I prefer for them to swim twice a week. And uh, I look for for two workouts in each sport each week is is what I aim for. And the biggest training week in the in the plan that I recommend to people most often is they don't have to train any more than four and a half hours total. So it's not it's not that much. Yeah. So that's four and a half hours split across six workouts in one week correct yeah. correct okay uh, what would you this is uh, an interesting uh, point to make this question i actually got a, a listener question uh on my um, on my email newsletter or from my email newsletter recently from a beginner triathlete or considering becoming a beginner triathlete because she hadn't actually done a triathlon yet and she considered having to train she actually mentioned just what you said three months she said that she would have to prepare for three months uh, six workouts per week and that seems overwhelming to her because she just doesn't know if she has the discipline to do six workouts per week and i suggested that she could maybe try to just do two workouts per week in her weakest discipline for many age groupers it will be swimming because many don't have a swimming background and then get away with one run and one bike per week What's your take on that? Well, I think uh, there's definitely creative ways that you can get away with doing fewer workouts. And I, and I agree with you. A couple of swim workouts for people who are not swimmers, I think that does a couple of things. Of, of course, it improves fitness, but the thought of swimming for non-swimmers causes a lot of stress, typically. And if you're able to train a couple times per week, you increase not only your fitness, but your confidence, which will on race day then end up costing you less energy. And then another creative way that you can get get away, if you want to call it that, get away with fewer workouts, is do either uh, brick workouts, which are bike runs, or a, what I call a combo workout, which is a run first and then a bike. And you can do those combo workouts or brick workouts instead of splitting up the bike and the run. So then you can train fewer number of days by doing it like that. Yeah, very good point. What about if you're a beginner triathlete, you have maybe done a couple of sprints and you want to complete an Olympic distance or maybe just even improve your result and for the first time start thinking about your the time that you your finishing time in your sprint or Olympic what 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 changes from where you were a complete beginner in your training oh that, that's good question let's talk about the Olympic triathlon first and let's say that the person just is more interested in completing the event rather than competing being competitive so with that, with that in mind, then the training volume increases for, for the Olympic distance event. And typically, 
I don't bump up the midweek workouts a lot because many people work and they find it hard to fit in more time midweek. Uh, if I bump those up, it's a small amount and then the the bigger amount of training goes on the weekends when people have more time on their hands to be able to train. But for the person that is saying, hey, you know, this was really fun and I want to get faster now, then for sprint, for sprint distance, let's focus on that first. Yeah. Then we can, we'll bump up, I'll bump up the training volume a little bit, but what really changes is the amount of intensity or speed work that is done during the workouts. So for the, the real be- beginner, I was mostly concerned with conditioning to make sure that they could safely complete the event and not get injured. And then for the next step up, now I'm saying, okay, it's time to let's add some speed work to some of your workouts and not all of them and see if we can get you to be a a little bit faster. Can you give us a couple of examples of how to add that speed work to to your workouts in in a few in a couple of the disciplines oh sure uh let's uh so for let's just take bike for example let's say you're doing a 45 minute bike during the week or even 30 minute bike during the week after 10 to 15 minutes of warm-up then I would have you increase your intensity or your speed for about three minutes and then recover for one minute and then repeat that cycle five to, oh, as much as eight times. And then I'll I'll change the amount of work. That three-minute time will change a bit to as you get closer to race day. And I start with first, uh, if I know you, you might be talking about intensity levels later, but let's talk about just rating of perceived exertion. So when, let's use a, a, a scale of five, just because it's easy and we don't have to get technical that way. In everyone's first race, I tell them on a scale of one to five, where one is just really conversational and easy to where a level five is the speed that you would use to sprint across the street or down the block. A sprint distance, your first sprint distance triathlon will primarily be at number one and two perceived exertion. You can include some three in there, but one, if you aim to stay between one and two, then you'll have a good time and you'll be ready to step to the next level. For people who are looking to increase some speed at that sprint distance race, racing, then I will start to add those intervals that I just described at an intensity level, roughly level three. Mm. And if they have more time, if they have, let's say they have nine to 12 weeks before they want to be faster, then I'll include intervals at level four that are equal rest to the work interval. 
In other words, if I have you go at level four for three minutes, then I'm going to have you rest for three minutes. And so that's, that's one of the more traditional ways that I help people increase speed. One of the less traditional ways is something I call miracle intervals. And I discovered this in, back in 2006 when I had a cyclist that accidentally, well, he was in a group ride and a dog ran into their group and he hit the dog and it sent him over the handlebars and he broke his collarbone. And he had a race in February that was a 100-mile race that he wanted to still do, even though he had broken his collarbone at the beginning of December. And so I knew I couldn't have him strength train because that caused too much stress on his collarbone. He couldn't ride outside for six weeks due to doctor's orders. And I I thought, well, I, I need a way to keep his strength up so that he doesn't lose power on the bike and therefore speed. So I had him do all out 30 seconds, as much power as he could possibly produce, and then take four and a half minutes of recovery. And that's just not, it's getting more common now, but endurance athletes tend not to do those big high power workouts, especially for triathlon. What I ended up finding, his, well, let me back up a little bit. So he, he did that workout and then one two-hour ride on the trainer just to keep his endurance tuned up a bit. And the fast forward story is when he went to do his 100-mile race in February, he was able to keep almost the same power output numbers as he did in his best year, and he was only five minutes off of his best time. So I did a little bit of research on this, and I found out that these short 30-second intervals followed by generous amounts of recovery allow people to maintain lactate threshold speed, which that's a a techie term that means the speed you can hold for roughly an hour. And it also allows people to keep some endurance. Now, I did add some longer workouts the closer we got to the race, but it was pretty, it was maybe in the four weeks before the race, so he didn't have much time to have those longer speed workouts. So the lesson for your listeners is, I believe it doesn't matter where you are in sport, beginner or advanced, you can use these shorter intervals to increase your fitness and your power. And for the for the beginner athletes, I have them start with 10 or 20 seconds and build power throughout that 20 or 10 seconds and then recover for maybe a shorter time period, maybe a minute and a half or two and a half minutes. And then the more advanced the athlete is, then the higher power output I want over the course of 30 seconds And then I also want more recovery. And I know that people are doing it correctly when I look at their power output profiles and I can see that their power is highest on the first or second repeat 
and then it decreases throughout the workout because I want absolute all-out power production for the fast people. And these are these are pretty uh, powerful workouts, and they don't take as much out of you as a big threshold workout or a workout where you're hanging on at that level three or four for long periods of time. Yeah, you know what, Gail? I actually, now I remember reading on Training Peaks, I, it must have been you that wrote that article with those miracle intervals. And, and not only did I read it and remember this entire story that now that you told it and, and these workouts and how it helped that that cyclist that you coached, but also I stole that workout straight away and took it to my Training Peaks library and <laughs> I've been ah, using good. it. Too. <laughs> good. And did you see a difference? Uh, yeah, it's 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 really great, as you said, and and I did done some research as well on it later on. I think there was a paper by, by Paul Larson about how that uh, improved the fitness in and in, in a group of uh, triathletes or endurance athletes of of some type, just as much as uh, some kind of uh, of lactate threshold intervals of uh, I believe eight minutes in duration for each interval, and and then. A set of those i don't remember the details now but but i talked about that in episode 20 on that triathlon show for the interested listener about uh intensity of workouts so so yeah i, I did a little bit of digging and and yeah uh, totally agree that that there's a time and place for those yeah so, that's and- exciting because it's counterintuitive right and it and you know from personal experience it doesn't leave you so wiped out yeah, and that's actually something that I discussed just yesterday with David Tilbury Davis, who will be in the episode before you about how the the cognitive cost of of those lo- longer, like just lactate threshold intervals and so on, it can be really, really big. And the shorter stuff, even though it's super intense and acutely stressful, then it it doesn't leave you, as you say, as wiped out. But it's interesting that you've applied that in in the way that you have to even more beginners that that want to improve on their first sprint times and maybe Olympic times and so on. And and the way you described it with the progression, I really liked that. And I hadn't thought about that. So, so that's, that's a great tip. One thing I wanted to piggyback on uh, is strength training. Do you prescribe that for your beginner triathletes? I do if they have the time to fit it in. Uh, if they're looking to just get through their first event, then my primary concern is endurance. And if they have the time, then absolutely they can, I prefer that they do some strength training or even yoga or Pilates to be able to improve body strength and flexibility and balance as well. But when push comes to shove, if something's going to have to go for your first event, I, I would pull out that strength training because it is time consuming for a lot of folks. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned intensity levels and let's talk about that next. And you had that five level scale that you apply and, um, yeah, I love it. It's uh, very easy for, for anybody, even the complete beginners to understand the way you described it. And that's, uh, an RPE measurement rate of proceed exertion. Do you use, I know that a lot of beginners, they, they get the gadgets, they get their heart rate monitors and their GPS watches. Some might even get a power meter. How do you use those with beginners? With beginners that are fit, then I'll have them do a, a self-test, a time trial, uh, cycling or running. 
around the for rank beginners it can be as short as 10 minutes and for the more fit beginners I'll do typically a 20 minute time trial and I instruct them to go at the fastest pace they think they can hold for 20 minutes so I don't want them to go out too fast and then crump at the end but I'm looking for the highest average heart rate they can hold for that 20 minutes or or power and then from those numbers with the athletes that are using training devices like heart rate or uh, pace or power any of those then I I divide the training zones up a little bit more and I have seven that I use and the the first two are close to the same being primarily aerobic work uh, the third zone is what I call tempo work which is just you you are accumulating some lactic acid but it's being removed fairly efficiently by the body and you can have a fair amount of that third zone in your longer workouts the fourth zone for me is uh, the threat what I call threshold and that that's the power or heart rate or pace that you can hold for roughly 60 minutes in a in a time trial and some of my more advanced athletes can hold that level longer up upwards to 90 minutes so it's really somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes and then um, so that's four zones then the fifth zone is aerobic capacity or uh, being able to produce power in that uh, three-minute range and the equal work to equal recovery sort of range. And then above that is the all-out high-end sprinting that goes anywhere from 10 seconds for cyclists to upwards of around three minutes. So it's it's just divided up a little bit finer and it's easier, definitely easier with pace and power to distinguish those upper zones. Once, if, if people only have access to a heart rate monitor, then even in those upper zones, they'll still use rating of perceived exertion. And I tell all of my athletes I never want them to lose that because I I want them to rely on how they feel during the race and and ask themselves can I push a little bit more and get a little bit more speed right now regardless of what the numbers are telling me so I like them to use a, a combination yep that's a good point and uh, that's a good place to transition into what's your take on uh what beginners should get for equipment. Do you recommend them getting a GPS watch and or heart rate monitor? I think that these days many, the way I see it as at least with the athletes that I coach, even beginners, they seem to have those uh, GPS watches and heart rate monitors. Power meters, not so much, but but GPS and heart rate, they do. But but do you recommend that? Or do you think that you can do just as well on, on, on RPE? Or at what point should you consider getting those uh, those devices i think if you're going to stay in the sport after your first event then you should consider 
at least investing in heart rate monitors because that gives a little peek inside your body as to what's going on and and it allows you to be uh, more precise and more cautious with your training. And what I mean by that is the heart rate monitor will allow you to safely push your limits and have less worry about blowing up or not finishing the workout or the race. Uh, but it but it also lets you know if you get your heart rate monitor on and you try to do some intervals and, and you just can't get your heart rate up and you feel lousy, then that's a good signal that you need to maybe back off and do something easier or just stop for that day. Because as a beginner athlete, it's really easy to get over-enthusiastic. They, they want to do speed work every day. And it sounds like you coach people. So you probably, you probably see that as well. People are excited and they want to go fast all the time. And as coaches, we want to try to keep them from doing that. And then I, I can train people just fine with heart rate only and get a good, a good amount of results out of them. And so power meters are nice, but they are not absolutely necessary for performance in the folks that we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, going back a bit into the actual training, I want to ask you about the distribution of training time amongst the three disciplines. You mentioned a bit already with the two workouts per discipline per week and the peak week being five and a half for your very beginners. How does the training time become distributed amongst the workouts? Is there a difference? Um, well, the peak week for beginner sprint people is four and a half. Four and hours. a half, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I tend to use the bicycle to build overall endurance because it carries a pretty low risk of injury. Uh, additionally, for most people, the bike will take up over half of the race time. So the, the bigger amount of time goes into cycling. Uh, then the next volume of training time goes into typically, I was going to say typically running, which is true. But again, it goes back to if your listeners have no swim history, then I'll have them swimming a couple times a week for about 30 minutes. Uh, if they have swim history, they can get by with, if you want to call it that, they can get by with one swim a week and and be just fine completing the race. So the swim volume really decreases in, in the experienced swimmer if they are time-pinched and increases more for people who are inexperienced because I want them to go into the race with full confidence that they're they're going to be able to navigate the water without fear. Yeah. So, so how would that, uh, how many hours and minutes would the bike beat or take up of that four and a half, half hour peak week, if you remember roughly off the top of your head? Uh, so if we're going to, if we're going to talk about the, the four and a half hour week, then the long bike ride, it'd be between 90 and 120 minutes. And that's way more than they're going to need to get through the event. So they, 
most people can get through a sprint distance as a beginner around 75 to 90 minutes. So if they're doing a 90-minute bike ride or even a 120-minute bike ride on the weekends, then they can it's a confidence builder as well they know that they have the endurance to get through the event and then for the two swim workouts i look for them to be able to swim somewhere between 500 and 800 meters twice a week uh non-stop uh, and this is pretty close to race day so if they're able to on their own swim 500 to 800 meters there's that confidence boost that they can safely make it through the event. And then the other uh, two workouts, for example, they could do a brick workout, which is a 30-minute run and a 20 or a 30-minute bike ride followed by a 20 or 30-minute run because I like to have them experience the feeling of getting off that bike and changing the motion from circular to running and that way they don't feel so funny on race day so that's uh you know another 30 minute bike or so and a 25 minute run and then uh they can do the other workout as a 30 to 45 minute run and okay, so that, that that gives us a good idea, and and does that distribution stay roughly the same even for your slightly more advanced beginners that are training for an Olympic or so? The actual distribution, not the total. Oh, time. the per, like the percentage distribution. Yeah, per, ex exactly. Mm, off the top of my head, I would say it's pretty close. Uh, yeah, I might increase the bike a little bit more for the Olympic distance because then you're talking about, well, uh, percentage-wise, I, I would guess it's pretty close. I've never yeah. been asked that before, so that's a good question. Uh, and I guess that the same principles that you've been talking to, that, that they still apply, that you want to build endurance on the bike and, and so on. So even if so, so we don't need to, to bother ourselves with, with the exact percentages, but, but the way to think about it is roughly the same. Yes, I I would say that's true for everything all all sport distances up to um maybe half Ironman Ironman for sure because obviously Ironman I don't know how many of your read listeners are uh, Ironman people or aspiring to be Ironman a lot but they, yeah so what happens right when you get into those longer distances you can't do this the distance in training or you shouldn't be doing the distance in training for an entire Ironman event that you'll be doing on race day because a 17 15 to 17 hour training day will leave people exhausted or injured so i i do use the bike to still build some endurance but as the distances get longer then what i start doing is putting two long workouts or even three on consecutive days. And I've found that that helps build race endurance as well. Mm, nice. That's a, that's a good tip. 
One, yeah, going back to that, uh, building up to over distance for a goal race on the bike. Do you do that on the run as well for your couch to sprint beginners? Do they build up to that 5k on, and you mentioned on the swim of, uh, as well, of course, do you build up to the 5k as well on the run or beyond? For, yeah, for sprint distance racing, I think you, and even Olympic distance racing, I think beginners can build up to that 5k or 10k distance. With, with given enough training time, obviously. But if you have three months, you should be able to build up to the full distance for the race on the run. Okay. And the bike great. as well, really. Yep, great. We're quickly coming up on time here. I was going to ask about pacing races. Let's try to cover it really quickly because you mentioned your first sprint already. So you can just... Uh, go back to the beginning of the interview where Gail talked about how to use those levels and mostly staying in level one and uh, some level two for your first sprint. What about your second sprint when you're trying to improve the result and uh, your first Olympic distance race? If you can just give us a couple of minutes of uh, tips on how to pace those races. Sure. That's a great question. And people will know how they they will get some measure of how to pace those races because they've they've started to do some interval work in training so they've started to do that level 3 and level 4 on the perceived exertion scale they've they've started to do some of those workouts in training so they know what their upper end of speed feels like physically and what their breathing sounds like. I like people to think about their breathing because if you are breathing much harder and heavier than you ever have in training during the race, then I suggest you back off a little bit and that will get you through the race till you gain more experience. Okay, great. Now let's move into some uh, rapid fire questions, starting with what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon? Wow, is triathlon specific or endurance sports or related related to it? It's a flexible question. So yeah, can... I think I think my favorite uh, news feed that I watch right now is is one called Science Direct. And that's because um, they they look at a lot of different aspects of sport and human health, and I'm I'm interested in both because I believe that if people are not healthy, they will never be able to optimize their performance in sport. So I'm definitely interested in what's going on with uh, uh, nutrition and cell metabolism and trying to keep people what I call bulletproof healthy, because if you can keep yourself healthy, then you can, you can do almost anything in sport in terms of uh, endurance. And then it also allows you to maximize your speed potential as an, as an individual. So I would say science direct is probably the one I look at every day. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Currently, I would say that is my mountain bike. I I have a specialized Epic mountain bike, and and right now it, it, I love mountain biking. And you've done uh, a few Leadwell hundred milers, is that right? 
That's correct. I just I just completed my 13th Leadville 100 this past Saturday. You need to update your website then because it says 12 on the website. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, who's somebody in triathlon that you admire or look up to? In triathlon that I look up to? Uh, you know, I would have to say uh, Libby Burrell who currently lives in Canada and she works for actually the Canadian uh, Olympic Committee, their version of the Olympic Committee. And my exposure to her came through USA Triathlon where she she came from being a university professor, an athlete herself, and working with uh, the Olympic team in South Africa and came to the U.S. and really helped us get more organized and and better at being a, a national sports federation. So I, I would have to say she's definitely one of the people that I look up to. Excellent. All right, thanks a lot, Gail. You can be found at gailbernhardt.com and on Twitter, and we'll link that up on the show notes page on thattriathlonshow.com. Is there anything else that you want to mention or anything you want to you want to plug or give a shout out to? I just want to say thank you for having me. Uh, well, I guess that one thing we did not talk about is people that struggle with weight, their body weight during sport. And if, if your readers do have a struggle there, then looking at the book Become a Fat-Burning Machine chronicles a story of an, of an Ironman athlete that I worked with who really struggled with his weight for years. And uh, we changed some of his eating habits and he was able to successfully get his weight down and get his health markers improved and also complete uh, Kona Ironman. So if that's if eating is more of a concern or nutrition is more of a concern than training, then that's a place to look. Yeah, that's that's great. We've had quite a few episodes on nutrition in the in the forties of that triathlon show. You being episode uh, fifty four. So uh, when we've had some time pass, I think that it uh, if you'd be interested, we'll we can have you on for a follow up and, and talk more about about that side of triathlon. Oh, sure, absolutely. That would be a pleasure okay great this has been gail bernhardt thank you everybody for listening and thank you gail for coming on the show thank you and there you have it i really hope that you found that valuable if you're a beginner and that you can use it in your training and i know that for me as a coach it was definitely something that some things that gail said that i am going to be able to use when in my coaching if you need a refresher of all the things we talked about don't worry we take all the show notes for you and you can find them on thattriathlonshow.com before closing off today's episode i want to once again remind you that i am now officially just a part-time engineer and not a full-time engineer anymore for the month of September. And then in October, I will be moving to Lisbon and take my coaching full-time. So I might just have a few slots available for coaching, depending on if they have filled up or not. 
I am recording this episode ahead of time, well ahead of time actually for once, uh, since I'm on vacation. So so I can't know when you get this episode if uh, from some pe- previous episodes I have already been able to fill up the available slots because obviously I am not going to take on too many athletes because each and every athlete will uh, get a lot of my time. But uh, to find out, just send me an email to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. And we can have a discussion and see if uh, coaching is something that uh, you think would benefit you and if uh, you and I would be the right coach-athlete fit. That's it for today. Monday's interview is one that I'm really excited for and have been since I booked Danielle Stefano as a guest. She is another Olympic coach, but from down under Australia. That's a show that you don't want to miss And hey, to make sure that you don't, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you automatically get all the new episodes once they are released every Monday and Thursday. So until Monday, keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.